Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, good morning, everyone. Do you accept Southerners in the north here? I had a friend who's a pastor years ago. We were joking. When we, uh, we were away from Adelaide, and I said, well, when we come back, I'll take the south and you take the north. And he's ended up in Elizabeth, and I've ended up down at Aldinga, so there you go. But um, <coughs> apparently Montas has been doing Galatians, is that right? Has he finished that? Or he? <coughs> One to go. Okay. Well, this is the letter to the Corinthians, as we've read. And um, these are what you call in the New Testament situational letters. They're letters written to uh, particular churches in particular cities and with a particular context and particular issues going on in the congregation. The Galatian letter is a what you'd say, Paul, dealing with Jewish issues, pri primarily how the faith relates to the law in the Old Testament and all of those kinds of things. Uh, this book in Corinthians is primarily um, related to a Gentile uh, issue in the church. Uh, no doubt there were Jews, Jews and Gentiles in both Galatia and Corinth and culturally those things were somewhat mixed up a little bit but the, the issues presenting themselves in Galatia were more Jewish and the issues presenting themselves in Corinth were more Gentile or Greek we might say or Hellenistic or something like that. So each um, expression of human life presents a certain flavour, sometimes things go off the rails and the apostles would uh, bring uh, the church back to the centrality of Christ and his gospels but they'd have to do that in a particular way to the context they're in. But Paul's dealing with the whole thing of wisdom as we've read and he's really saying that there are two wisdoms in the world, there's, the, there's worldly wisdom and there's God's wisdom and wisdom is actually a very noble pursuit and um, have we got a clock here somewhere? I can't read that, but is it 10? Okay, I think it says 10.50. Right, okay. Um, there are two wisdoms, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Wisdom uh, can be understood uh, across the board as something that's common to all people, um, you can talk about wisdom just in a very creational sense uh, where people, um, the word wisdom simply means essentially to have certain skills. So uh, you can get a plumber in to uh, fix your pipes and he has, you know, builds up in the trade a certain amount of skill and, or wisdom if you like is how to do that and it really doesn't matter whether you have a Christian, atheist or Muslim plumber. Uh, as long as they fix your pipes, you know what I mean? So they're skilled in one way or another. So there's, there's that kind of wisdom, which is uh, something that we all participate and we're all connected with everyone in that way. And Christians are no different from anyone else under the creation. We work in the creation like that. And there's all sorts of um, complexity, complexities in the creation in history you have to work out and um, humanity does its best to try and do that in a general sense. But Paul's talking about something a little bit different here. He's talking about what we might call wisdom that pertains to faith and a wisdom that um, um, really places humanity in its relationship to God or the gods 
as it were in the ancient world or the gods of society or whatever. Uh, it's what we might call faith wisdom. Um, and uh, Paul's really saying that um, uh, the, the, the faith as a church, you can't mix God's wisdom. And when you're talking about faith wisdom, we're going to sort of unpack what all that means, but when you're talking about faith wisdom, you can't mix that with worldly wisdom because the world sets up a kind of a wise way of living according to its own faith systems and God has come in Christ and established his own wisdom out of the heavens in Christ, if you can put it that way. And uh, if we look at uh, verse 13 and 14, um, sorry, in eight, uh, verse 18, uh, just go for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So Paul then goes back to Isaiah. Now he's applying the cross. We'll get to the cross in a minute. But he, go back, he goes back to Isaiah 29, 14. And Isaiah was one prophet that was particularly endowed with the understanding of wisdom. He, he was, in, um, if you read, go through the scriptures carefully in Proverbs, um, in the time of Hezekiah, there was a coming together of uh, the prophetic and uh, the sages and the whole teaching of wisdom in Israel and they were coming together uh, interlacing and in interlocking in the prophetic utterances in uh, books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and things like that. So he goes back to these prophetic utterances in Isaiah and particularly in this, this verse in Isaiah 29 and he's, he quotes really from there and he's saying you know, what is God doing in the world today? Well, if you want to ask, what is God doing? Well, Paul is saying God is about destroying the wisdom of the world. It's quite a statement, isn't it? When you think about that, God is about destroying the wisdom of the world. Uh, Paul says that Christ has come in 1 Corinthians 15, and he's destroying all opposition to God the Father. So what is the ministry of Christ? To destroy all opposition to God the Father. And Paul says, you know, we take every uh, thought captive to Christ and uh, destroying and demolishing all uh, arguments and strongholds against the knowledge of God. So there's, a, there's, if you like, a huge clash, a clash of kingdoms, um, really God's kingdom being over everything but within his reign and his sovereign rule there's, there's all these little kingdoms that rise, civil wars if you like, a civil war against God if we could put it that way and uh, there's this um, propensity to, in the world um, to be fighting against God, a very active propensity actually. So he quotes from Isaiah 19, I'll just go back there for a second and I'll just, if you just want to um, if you've got your Bibles, you can go back to Isaiah 19. We'll just look at the verse before. Because quite often when the apostles and the New Testament writers quote from the Old Testament, they're, um, they're, they're quoting a verse, but they're really, um, can really, they've got the whole area around that verse in their mind and they're taking it as sort of like a, like a, a summary verse of the whole section. So if we look at Isaiah um, 29... And um, it's actually a very prominent part of um, the Old Testament that's in the New Testament. But um, 
He says there in verse 13 of Isaiah, if we go back one verse, Isaiah 29, 13, and the Lord said, because his people draw me near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden hidden so what's happened as we'll see in a second just to put it in here though is that particularly with egypt uh, around this period of time Isaiah is saying that israel has uh, is drawing on the wisdom of egypt we read that in our reading um just earlier and um that wisdom was causing unbelievable um problems within israel and but the issue is that god is destroying that wisdom of Egypt. But if you take that wisdom into the life of the people, like Israel will do, you actually invoke the judgment of God upon you as a people. And so it's a very dangerous thing to do. And what it had done, and it kind of emptied out, I think the children's talked about being empty, we've talked about in the children's talk today. Um, it, was, it had emptied them out of any genuine, real um, so, uh, faith of substance before God. And uh, so he says, these people draw me near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. So in other words, what Israel had done was that they were coming to God in worship. They were turning up to church, if you like, if we use that sort of language. But their hearts were a long, long away, long away from the Lord and they were just doing, going through the motions and giving lip service to God in their worship. Now we can be like that, can't we? We can come to worship and our hearts can be a million miles away. You're worrying about your job and your money or the kids have been wrecking your life in the morning or something like that and you've, you know, you've had a big fight with your husband or wife and you've come and you're all caught up in all of that um, and the pressures of life just come upon us. But that's just how it is in life. And, but the Lord really commanded that Israel come and they, they lay all of that down and they came and they received the sacrifices. But... The call was to be circumcised in heart and to receive and to worship God and to receive his grace in the worship, in the temple, if you like. But they weren't doing that and their hearts were a long, long way away from God. And this was really quite serious because not only is that an issue, it's, it's to do with them being caught up in idolatry and worshipping other gods. But the promise... <coughs> excuse me. But the promise was, <clears throat> I will again do wonderful things with this people. Verse 14, wonder upon wonder and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. That's where Paul quotes from in 1 Corinthians, just there. So he's saying, there's a day coming when I will do wonderful things to this people and wonder upon wonder. Now the Hebrew word there means miracle. It means I'm going to come and do a miracle and he's going to destroy the wisdom of the world he's going to destroy this kind of ungodly wisdom and he's going to put it aside once and for all and the discernment of there's a sort of a an ungodly a sort of a worldly discernment that that you know people get all sort of insights into things in 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 life as well that's going to be hidden and thwarted and put aside 
So Paul's gone back to there and he's really saying that's how it is. So God, so if we say there's a principle here that God is about destroying that, uh, that wisdom of the world, but that promise back there to destroy uh, the wisdom of the world comes, uh, comes that, uh, that um, prophecy comes with promise and it comes that God's going to do something more wonderful. You know, it may be more comfortable and easy to follow a cultural wisdom because it's very... Um, it's something within us that likes just to be accepted by other people. And uh, the wisdom of society, uh, however, is not just a neutral manifestation of that creational wisdom that we are talking about earlier. There's a wisdom that develops within societies. All societies develop a cultus, what we call a cultus, and a worship system. And those systems are actually ungodly and they, they are systems that give us ultimate meaning, meaning and purpose in our life. Those things, if we, if we just get caught up, up into all of that, it really empties our heart out and we don't, we lose hope and we lose the grandeur of God in eternity, the hope of the gospel. And then um, our hearts become empty and they become barren and dry and we fall into, fall into lip service. Now remember Paul's talking about 1 Corinthians, you know, I'm not interested in eloquent wisdom. Remember he said those words? He said it twice at the beginning of the end. So I'm not interested in, in uh, and this is what the Corinthians were caught up into. They were caught up into this whole thing of just wanting to be um, really uh, an expression, a Christian expression of the culture. And Paul was saying that is a very dangerous thing to do. Because if you do that, you actually take the faith system of the culture into the church. Um, and then you actually come under God's judgment. That's the warning with all this. Because God is destroying all of that. So sometimes God has to judge his church. You read that in the book of Revelation. He judges his church. So we've got to be very careful in the church that we don't presume to be too clever and take on, we can just take on the world. We have to be very careful what we do in our church life, how we think. We have to remain close in the scriptures. We have to make sure that our understanding of the gospel is Christ-centered and uh, all of those things. And they're the things that really matter. So, it, so the cultural things, you know, that common wisdom which we share, we can, that can come into anything because it's just a common creation of wisdom. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that if we've got time. But, um, but we mustn't take on the wisdom of the world. Um, we'll, just, we'll just talk about that now. Paul, Paul says um, at the end of chapter 3, if you remember, if you know your, your, your Bible well enough, he says, you know, all things are yours. Remember he said that? All things are yours. Life and death and all the leaders and all the rest of it. And... Uh, uh, so, you know, once you're secured in Christ, you get a wisdom to know what, how to, to distinguish between that faith wisdom and what we call creational wisdom. And you don't take the faith wisdom into your, into your church or into your heart. And then, but you can still enjoy all the creational good things of life and all the things that God has given you. All right, so that's the first principle. God is about destroying the wisdom of the world.
So then he also talks about discernment. I will thwart the discerning. Remember he talked about that? I will hide or thwart the discerning. So in other words, there's a kind of a discernment in life. There's what we call a common discernment. So anyone in the world can be a discerning person in a sense. You know, you, you, get, a, you get a bit of an understanding of life. You, some people are better than this than others. It depends on who you are as a human being. But over time, you get a bit of skill in understanding of reading things and, you know, you can work out what's really going on behind. You get an insight, as it were. You don't need to be a Christian to have that. And psychotherapists and uh, philosophers are talking about it all the time now. And they're working it out rationally and all this. But what Paul's saying is because of this mixture, you know, where we can't, um, uh, we always tend to confuse this creational and faith wisdom, um, it all becomes kind of all blurry and then our normal creational wisdom enters into faith and then uh, we, we tend to uh, then are looking at the wrong things behind the scenes as it were. So what God is saying and what Isaiah is saying, what Paul's quoting, he's saying, I will thwart all of that. So in the end, what you see in the world and in the world system, you have a discerning and an insight going on. But in reality, it's not. It'll present like it's insight. But God's thwarting it. He will block it. So there may be some kind of insight that goes through rationally like we're very intellectually orientated in our society and so you might go to a psychologist or a psychotherapist and they might be able to help you with these sorts of things but Paul, Paul's saying well all of that, that that'll just get blocked in the end in terms of this faith wisdom God will just block all of that and there's only so far you'll get to it it'll be thwarted at every point and you might be able to work things out and have some insight but it would all just go it, w it won't get you anywhere in your heart and it won't do you any good in the end. So the second principle. So the first principle, God is going to destroy all the wisdom. And is, in the, is, in the, is, is the promise in Isaiah that that's what he's going to do. And he, we're going to see that he's fulfilled that in the cross. And secondly, he's going to thwart all of this kind of worldly discernment associated with wisdom. Now... Uh, later in, um, he's, if you remember in our reading, Paul said, um, uh, where is the wise man? Right? So he's, he's, he's comparing all of this kind of worldly wisdom with the wisdom of God on the cross. And he says, well, where is the wise man? And that is a quote from, uh, from Isaiah 19, where we read about the Egyptians. So if you remember that story about the Egyptians, remember they were talking about the, the problem with Israel was that the Egyptian wisdom was coming into their faith systems and um, the Lord says, well, you know, they've got all their wise people, uh, but the judgment of God is going to come upon it. And um, well, where are they? You know, before God's judgment, they're going to be finished and God's going to destroy all the wisdom. There's going to be nothing there. And, and if Isaiah saw all of that in the confusion of those days. Uh, and he saw it and he said, well, where is it? And so, um, you know... Um, you know, they had counsellors and sorcerers and necromancers. Remember you saw all of that? You know, speaking to the dead. They had sorcerers and necromancers. So in other words, the, what the, uh, what the uh, 
uh, if we, we could look through as I haven't got time to do it, but in Israel were getting caught up with all of these spiritual kind of faith systems in, in Egypt. Um, you know, and uh, that was causing them to not rely on the word of God. They were listening to the words of the world, to their counsellors. Those counsellors were sorcerers and necromancers and so forth. And they weren't listening to the word of God. Their hearts were far from God. And they were more interested in the things of the world. You know, this week I was doing a bit of research. And you know, in, a, in the West there's this whole... Uh, um, psychotherapy system that's developed. I don't know if you know much about that. No doubt some of you would. But what they're doing now, in, in the, there's been uh, conferences in America and they're inserting into and they're integrating into, uh, into that psychotherapy with halluc uh, hallucinating drugs, so LSD and things like that. And they're, they're mixing those two worlds and they're finding that people that go into psychotherapy, they give them LSD. So psycho psychologists and psychiatrists are doing this in America. And um, with that, they often bring in shamans, I don't know, witch doctors and things like that. So there's a growth of shamans in the West now. I don't know if you know all about that, but that's all happening. And uh, they, so the necromancers, the sorcerers and all of those sort of things are coming in and they give them the drugs and they bring these shamans in and they, and they open up their minds and they start working with their minds and people have all these experiences of goddesses, uh, divine female gods that come out of the heavens and speak to them and they, one lady said this, this great divine female god came to me and she purred behind me and she gave me the ability to rebirth myself. Amazing things. And what, what is interesting is that they're finding that people that go through these sort of psycho, uh, psychedelic sort of therapies, 80% of them are cured from addictions. Isn't that amazing? I know it's not an amazing in a good way, but... Remember in the book of Revelation that the, the evil one will come and he'll, he'll heal people and he'll, he'll do all of these things. So, but healing is not, not the be-all and end-all of everything, by the way. You know? And that's the point about the cross. You see, this is this, this counter-wisdom that comes in. It's a new word. You know, I did not come to you with eloquent words or all this kind of wisdom stuff of the world. I came to you with a cross, with a word of the cross. So there's a dying man. He's dying on a cross. It's foolishness to the world. And it doesn't mean that you're going to get healed. It doesn't mean that all the problems of life are going to get sorted out. But God uh, keeps us in a very humble position so that we can receive that word of the cross. And so sometimes it's better that you don't get healed. God may heal at certain points in the ministry of the church and evangelism. It happens all around the world because to, to have an outbreak of, the, of a hearing of the word, as it were, uh, an outbreak of the gospel. But for the most part, you know, uh, most people, Christians, live with sicknesses and diseases and troubles and trials and tribulations. Uh, 
It's no different for all the apostles in the New Testament. You know, Paul uh, could heal many people himself, but he himself was quite ill and he had the messenger from Satan and all the rest of it and he praised God for it. Because, not because you see, the main thing is not whether you're healed or whether you're unhealed, but all of that works so that you can come to Christ and get this wisdom from above. And get out of the worldly wisdom that will destroy your life. It will empty your life out. This is what Satan does. He empties people out. He guts them out. Then he fills them with darkness. And he'll even heal people in order to give people a false sense of security and to bring them into a delusion. And then they're deluded and then they'll never hear the gospel. So Paul comes, you know, to these... Corinthian to this Corinthian church and they're all these Greeks you see can you imagine them being in a Greek church they're a wild lot the Greeks I, I married a Hungarian I mean the Europeans they're noisy you know there's a few times in the New Testament they, you know you keep quiet when this person's you know you keep silent he says when that's going on you all just don't talk over each other you go to Romania, by the way, they all just cry, or hungry when my wife comes. They all cry in the service. They're all weeping in, the, in Romania and they're all crying and sad. They say, what are you crying? Oh, we had a great time. Oh. You, if you don't cry and weep, you don't, you're not really oh, 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 like that, then you haven't had a good time. But you go to the Greeks and they're all yelling at each other across the, across the floor and shouting at each other and shouting each other down. In the, you, get, you know, this is... It's all pretty boring in Australia. Aussies are pretty boring. But this is, so here's his Greek, this is the Greek church in Corinth. And they're pretty lively lot and they're pretty feisty. I've got Greek friends and they're the first to admit it. My wife says, you Australians are boring. That's how she says it to me. But anyway, so it presents all sorts of interesting things, doesn't it? And whatever culture we're in, we mustn't bring that culture into the center of the faith you know you can express your faith culturally that's fine but you mustn't bring that culture into the center of the faith so paul's saying be careful and it's a warning for us today in australia that we must not ever take the wisdom of our nation no matter how good that is and put it at the center of our faith australia will gut us out It'll empty us out. And it does that in a, in a number of ways. I won't go into that. You know how that happens. So you come to church. You're worrying about your mortgage. You're worrying about your house. You're worrying about your job. You're worrying about your footy team who lost the night before. Something, you know, it's, you know, and they're all worship systems. They are. You go to the footy. Oh, I love footy. My son plays footy. But, you know, they, they, it's a worship system now. And they, 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 they have all kinds of rules and laws about what you can say and what you can't say. And there's ethics and codes of conduct, that, even on the crowds now. And everyone apologising because everyone's offended in the footy world or something. It's totally ridiculous, just for a football match. But anyway, so all of that comes in. You don't let any of that get a grip of you. So Paul then says, so if we go back to our text if we just think about that text in isaiah what the the outcome was that the lord puts a spirit of confusion onto the egyptians did you, did you notice that he confuses the situation and he disunifies them 
He breaks up their ability to hold it all together. And eventually that's what happens with worldly wisdom. He breaks it all up and he causes this unity. Now in Corinth, that's exactly what's going on in the church. He says to in verse 10 of chapter 1, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you that, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling among you, my brothers. What I, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Kephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptised in the name of Paul? And so forth. So in other words, the Corinthians were all dividing, they were splitting up. And what, what the spirit of the world had done, and really nothing's changed, this happens in Australia to do. What happens, we become humanistically orientated, the spirits drive us into ourselves, and we become so preoccupied with other people and things in life that we, we then look to those some of those people for help. So what's, what's happened in Corinth is, you know, people were gathering under certain leaders and they were saying, you know, I follow this person, I follow that person. And Paul's saying, you don't follow any of that. I mean, you've got a pastor, he's named Montaz, is that right? And he's got a certain gift set. But you wouldn't want to follow Montaz like you should follow Christ. You wouldn't, my people shouldn't... In, in our church, you shouldn't look to me. I'm one person with a certain gift set in the church and there's many other gifts as well. And we enjoy all the gifts in the oneness of the Spirit and in Christ, as Paul says in chapter 12. But you don't, in your mind, you don't elevate people to the status of being Lord and Christ in your hearts. Because we're, like Paul says, you know, I came and planted and polished watered and God made it grow so it's all about God working in Christ so you've got to have this so this is true wisdom coming in you see keeping your hearts focused on Christ uh, so that this, here's the third principle the world has its own wisdom that causes conflict and disunity sometimes disunity is necessary on the basis of the gospel but that's not, you know, set out to cause disunity. But within the church, because this church is only three years old in Corinth. It's a brand new church. It sprung up around Christ. And um, uh, they had come into revival. The spirit had been poured out. They'd seen the, the gospel. And now, after a time, even though they'd believed and wonderfully been saved, they were then regressing, going back to their culture and the upshot of all of that was that they were starting to divide. So, you see, it takes a great work of the Spirit to get us to, to have our hearts and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in him. He is my Lord. And um, I, do I never move away from him. It takes a great work of the Spirit to get us out of the idols of the culture and into this Christ-centeredness. And then what you happen if you have this Lord, this great Lord, you're freed because he gives you his freedom and then you can love 
in an imperfect world and keep uh, working towards peace and unity within the church. So that's the, so that's the Corinthian context too. But the way this was all working, on a practical level, on a week, uh, on a, if, uh, on a, on a Sunday by Sunday, and whatever they were doing in their preaching in the day, the way it was working out was in the way in which they were um, preaching, and which the way the leaders were actually teaching. And Paul says, talks about eloquent wisdom. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't come with eloquent wisdom, which we touched on already or you could translate that cultural wisdom and the words and really it's, it's wisdom literally it is wisdom of words that's what the greek actually says there so in other words there was a system in the hellenistic mindset in the greek mindset what they had done is they had developed a system of of what they called sophists or rhetors and they would um, move around the country and they were brilliant people who could speak absolutely brilliantly and they could get you across to their argument by the way they speak using rhetoric and things like that and it didn't so much matter if it was true it was just that they could put together a really fine sounding argument and you know you hear that today if you listen to something and you say, oh, that was wonderful, that was the best thing I've ever heard. And then a week later you say, hang on a minute. <laughs> Just because it was put together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, some of them, that's right, yes, indeed. <clears throat> They're more spin doctors, I think, than rettors, aren't they? But anyway, um, yeah, so that's, and so uh, with all of this wisdom, it was empty, but it was brilliant at the same time. That's what Paul's saying. So just being a brilliant speaker is never the issue. It's whether the word of the gospel and the power of the spirit has come in that word and when that word is spoken, you meet Christ. So the speaker's you know, he's, Paul says, what is Paul? What is Apollos? We're just servants. We're just mouthpieces in the next chapter. You know, did, did, did I, bap, you know, you know, I'm glad I didn't baptise any of you, he says in chapter 1. Because they were so focused on these sort of special people and, you know, getting into those disunified groups and they were pushing that kind of idea into the leadership of the church. And it was unthinkable for Paul. So they had this issue that they were dealing with. So Paul says, he says, I came to you, I came to you with fear and trembling. You know, let me say something to you. In here, this is actually, if you look at the, the original text, it's actually a brilliant piece of literature in its own right. So Paul was as brilliant at being rhetorical or putting literature together as anyone else if you look at it carefully, there's rhythms and there's, there's a way of reading it that uh, helps you, un, you, know, um, is, you know, where is, where is, God chose, God chose, God chose. There's all these brilliant ways of writing that you can do. And Paul's sort of playing their own game as a way and getting them in and then he gets them in and then he drops them into the gospel and he says, here it is. 
And all of that doesn't matter in the end. So how does God destroy the wisdom of the world? How does he do this? And he's, the, the, the content, we talked about the, they had no heart, they were losing heart. And so he's saying the, and he's saying the cross, the cross of Christ is the wisdom of God. And I knew nothing apart from that. So he came into this situation, it was all brilliant. And these people were like rock stars in that culture, by the way. Can you imagine the Hollywood star, Russell Crowe, coming and speaking and everyone, you know, and presidents, they come in and, the, you know, you pay $500. To the, this is what it was like. These guys would come in and they, they, would, they were great sophists and rebels and every, the amphitheatres would fill up and they'd listen to them speak and, they'd be a, and you'd pay big dollars for them. It was the, it was the Hollywood of the day, in a way. And Paul, here's Paul, he comes in and he says, here is the wisdom of God. This Jewish Messiah, who was arrested and crucified on a Roman cross as a criminal. The authorities found him guilty and crucified him. And when you're, when you're on the inside of the faith, you kind of get it, don't you? you, you the Holy Spirit reveals to you, you, quite, you know, the, the, the blood of Christ. I need that blood. If I don't have that blood, I'm not clean. I'm not forgiven. I'm not, you just know it, don't you? It's in your DNA, in your spiritual DNA. And you hear that word and you just love it. But how can a ro this, this Jewish Messiah who's hanging on a cross, the ultimate shame thing that could happen to anyone in the culture, how could that be the power of God? Well, this is what Paul's saying. He comes, God does it. He takes the complete foolishness of it all. He comes from the other side to upend all the cleverness of the world. And the foolishness of God is stronger than the wisdom of the man and the utter weakness of God in Christ is stronger than all the world. You can't rationalise that. Why do you come to church? You turn up to church every Sunday, don't you? Isn't that a miracle? Well, no, Montas didn't ring everyone up to come today, did he? Get on the phone? You come to church? Does he do that? He does, does he? He might do it to the leaders, he might do it. But I'm sure he doesn't do it to everyone, does he? A message. A message, ah, right. Is he advertising or is he... Of encouragement. Oh, yes, of course. Okay. Yes, that's right. But I go, you know, I've been a pastor in our church. They, they turn up. I mean, I think that's a huge miracle. That people... People whinge about church, this and that, but it's a great thing that you come in the door. And why do, why do we do that? Well, I'll tell you why you do that. Because you love Christ. That's why you do that. Is that all right? Yeah. Of course. And we're looking for something because the world unravels our lives. The wisdom of the world destroys us. And in that act of the cross... God destroys the wisdom of the world 
And why is that such good news for us? Well, because somehow the Spirit comes to us and all of that. And he says, you are righteous. You are justified. You are now truly wise. You are sanctified. You're clear. You're clean. You're totally clean. You're justified. You won't ever be condemned before the law of God. You're redeemed. You're out of the slavery of the world. You're not trapped and caught up in the world system anymore. You're not enslaved into that. Now you're redeemed. You've been brought in. You've been bought with a price into the kingdom of God. And now you're free. And Christ has come to you and he's cleansed you and made you clean. And he's made that to be yours forever for all of your life so you can... Approach the throne of of grace with confidence as as a sinner. So your heart's changed and you worship and serve God. So Paul was the Jewish ISIS of the day. He went away, he ran around brutalizing, killing people. How did he change from being a brutal Jewish kind of law person? He met Christ, did he not? He met, met the ascended Christ. And when he met the, the ascended Christ, and he was filled with the Spirit, it says in, in Acts chapter 9, then all of that, and then the Spirit says, now come and let me show you what this risen Christ, what his death meant. And the, the risen Christ and the ascended Christ and the Spirit then took Paul into the cross and he understood what that cross was all about. And all of this comes not by being clever or being eloquent, as I said, but by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when I came to you, I was trembling. He was a nobody in that culture. He was a nobody... He was a Jewish nobody in a Greek culture bringing a foolish message to who would have been received as foolish in the world. And so he went there, but the Spirit of God was upon him and the words that he spoke were full of the Spirit and the Spirit took that cross. He took that cross and he put it into the hearts of of the hearers. The Spirit did that. They didn't get it into their hearts by being clever. It was just sheer gift out of the heavens. And then he goes on to talk about how the mystery opened up. And in chapter 3, how God, Paul planted... Apollos watered, and uh, then God built the church. He brought these wild Greeks. He brought them together. He brought them and he made them to be one. He's building them up into a temple where his spirit dwells, he says in chapter 3. So Paul's saying, why are you going back to the wisdom of the world? Why would you do that? It will destroy you because God is destroying it. 
So where's your heart and your mind today? No doubt you've believed because you're here. But if you haven't believed, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. God will forgive all your sins and he'll set you free. And rightly understood, you want to stay there forever. Amen.